0: Welcome back to Composer Quest. I'm your host, Charlie McCarran, a composer in Minneapolis, and I started the show because I wanted to share insights from other composers and songwriters about how they make music. I've been putting out two episodes a week for the past three and a half months. So if you visit ComposerQuest.com, you can find over 30 interviews that are worth checking out. Mark your calendars for the first ever ComposerQuest concert coming up on Saturday, May 11th at 8 p.m. Central Standard Time. The concert will be at a really awesome yoga studio called Yoga Soul here in Minneapolis. But if you're a listener outside Minnesota, you can join us online at ComposerQuest.com and I'll have a live webcast. So again, that's 8 p.m. Central Standard Time on May 11th. We'll be featuring some of the artists who've been on the show, and it'll be a lot of fun. So hope to see you there. Now I present to you a musical robot-making genius, Patrick Flanagan. He describes himself as the token human in cyborg percussion ensemble, Jazari. What he's done is make these robots that play percussion instruments, and he controls them all by pressing buttons on his MIDI controller that he designed himself. It's pretty awesome seeing Patrick play with his robot band. So I put up a video at composerquest.com slash robots. I suggest you go watch that right now before you listen to any more of this episode. Okay, you're back? Good. What'd you think, pretty cool, huh? Anyways, in this interview, Patrick talks about his motivation for creating a robot band. For any nerd, like making people dance with robots is probably one of the most gratifying things that can happen. Patrick really appreciates avant-garde music, but he got kinda sick of the stuffiness around it in grad school. So in his robot band, Jazari, he wanted to create something that was intellectually interesting, but also really appealing to listeners. I don't think the
1: biggest barrier to mass acceptance with avant-garde 20th century music is the harmony so much as the rhythmic language. The rupture that really throws people off is, is the absence
0: of meter. In creating rhythms for his robot band, He wanted to make sure they sounded as human as possible. So he did some clever analysis of human percussion players.
1: I did this data mining exercise with MIDI recordings of professional percussionists. And that's what influences the expressive timing for all the robots.
0: As you can imagine, Patrick's kind of a programming wizard. And he also talks about some of the apps he created. One of which, AutoFugue transforms your speaking voice into a singing voice over baroque dance beats. Buckets, order large so I'm really excited to bring you my talk with Patrick Flanagan. Patrick. Yes. Welcome to Composer Quest. Good to be here. Thanks for coming. Yeah. Thanks uh, for letting me into your studio here.
1: <laughs> well, I should apologize for the uh, condition it's in, but... Because robots aren't really that messy, you know? It should be a little bit cleaner. But
0: nah. <laughs> Yeah, so maybe you could describe what's all happening in this room here. Well, what we have here is uh, five or six electromechanical machines
1: that play percussion instruments. And I use these to make my own brand of dance music. I use them instead of samples. Most electronic music is made with samples for percussion sounds, but uh, I build machines to play drums instead.
0: So we have a... uh, Well, I don't even know where to start. We got bongos with... Two types of beaters here. One for the strike on the edge of the drum,
1: and one for hitting the interior of the drum skin. Those are suction cups wrapped in masking tape. And the idea there is that with the suction cup hitting the drum head, you mimic the sound of the cupped human hand hitting the drum skin, which traps air against it to create more of a pop. Cool.
0: And what do you use for, say, the cowbell here? Well, the cowbell usually is hit with a stick, a
1: drumstick, but I didn't want to use a whole drumstick because that's actually hard to... It's a lot of mass to move around, and it's critical in this whole setup that the beaters hit the, either the drums or the cowbell, whatever, quickly. So that means keeping the amount of motion small. So it's just the tip of a drumstick attached to a rubber stopper, and it moves less than a centimeter to hit the cowbell. And then should we complete the tour? Just sure, so yeah. So we've yeah. got bongos. We have the djembe machine. Now the kick drum, the snare drum machine. Uh, not here is the hi hat machine. That's in the van because it's on the disabled list. I have to do some work on that. And then finally, the hand percussion machine with a go go bell, cowbell, clave, egg shakers, and kibasa.
0: This is awesome. <laughs> How long did it take you to make all these? I think
1: I started building the first machine in early 2009 and it took about two years to build all of the machines and i was writing software at the time and doing other things but the
0: band has been in its current form for about two years cool i like that you refer to it as a band well of robots i mean yeah it's it's
1: settling on names and and pronouns actually is kind of tough because uh you know do i anthropomorphize them or not they say, that, oh, we're coming to work. We are doing a show, or I'm doing a show. Because <laughs> they're not humanoid robots, right? I don't have, they don't have names. They look like electromechanical furniture that plays drums, which is what they are. But it's still a band.
0: What have you learned in working with these machines that you built? Well, I think the
1: motivation behind it shifted a little bit. The original motivation was... Not af- afraid to admit it, kind of theatrical. I'd been doing laptop music back in my career as a sort of academic electronic music composer, and that just—it's not much of a theatrical spectacle. It's a person on stage behind a laptop, and that's been criticized a lot, even in the academic electronic music community, as being pretty boring. And so I wanted to do something that would create more of a spectacle on stage, and I, so I thought, all right, so I'll build machines to play. Pr- I wanted to do machines that play all kinds of instruments, but percussion seemed easier, so that's what I started with. And then once I built them and started playing with them, I realized that the sound of drums played by machines is different than both samples and different than human performance. It's in this strange in-between space where you have the infinite micro-variations of real acoustic sound at the same time that you have the control that comes with software.
0: How does the interface that you're using here work to actually control these drums?
1: Well, it starts with the controller here, which I call the meganome, because it's inspired by the monome, which is about as famous as a DIY underground uh, electronic music controller can get. But it controls both the synthesizers and the percussion machines. And uh, it enables me to play things that I would never be able to play as a human being. And here's how it does it. Uh, When I simply hold down one of these buttons, I get repeated hits in one of the machines. So if I hold down this button here for the uh, djembe machine, you hear repeated hits of these two solenoids that are positioned kind of on the interior of the drum skin.
0: And a solenoid for people who don't know? It's
1: an electromagnet that moves a metal rod, okay. some distance, yeah. And if I press a button in that same column, but one row up, instead of eighth notes, I'll get sixteenth notes. And if I go up again, I'll get thirty-second notes. So, you know, I couldn't really play that with my own hands, but just by holding a button, I got that steady rhythm. And I can combine that with the other machines to create more complex rhythms.
0: Cool.
1: Like. <laughs> awesome. Triple of thirty-second notes. You know, it's actually on the boundary of like you know when rhythm becomes pitch. Yeah. Around that twenty hertz
0: huh. threshold. Hmm. And when you process these. Drums too, I noticed that you also sometimes have pitch like effects to them. I do
1: a lot of, I put a lot of processing on the drums, increasingly more processing, you know, pitch shifting, pitch shifting, pitch shifting, frequency shifting, frequency shifting, chorusing, chorusing, phasing, down sampling, down (laughs) sampling. Uh, A lot of delay, including stereo delay, and stereo Stereo delay, delay, stereo delay. delay. That's where a lot of this uh, atmospherics of percussion sounds come from. start working on new material, I try to make sure that whatever I'm doing, I can do live. And so the EP is actually, I mean, it's sort of technically a studio record because I recorded it here in my studio, but it basically consists of live takes. It wasn't multi-track. So fortunately, four-fifths of the album can be performed live.
0: Cool. It must be a little bit of a hassle getting your...
1: Yeah, doing a show is kind of like moving apartments. (laughs) Uh, which is one of the reasons I don't play out much. It's just, it's a lot of work. Sure. I have someone who helps me, but even then, it's a a two hour setup, a two hour teardown. I love playing live, but it's not something I can do every weekend. Yeah. I can't imagine myself building any new machines this year, but what I would do next would be the electric bass. So
0: you'd have a robotic bass player? Or yeah. What
1: I'd do is I wouldn't buy an existing bass. I would lay the strings out over separate pieces of wood, uh, so it'd be easier to to build the plucking components around each string. But yeah, having a bass would be really fun. I'd love to have a robot horn section. It's just a lot harder to do
0: that. Do you have a day job,
1: or is it my day job involves taking a lot of the software that I write for the band and turning it into apps. The software that I wrote for the voice processing that I do with Chisari has been incorporated into an app that I collaborated on with a local iPhone and Mac audio developer uh, named Audiophile Engineering. We just put out this app called Vio that's a lot of fun. It's kind of like this immersive audio experience that you control with your own voice. What happens is you, you start singing or humming. You don't have to hum anything in particular. You can just say, ah, like you're at the dentist. And that signal is transformed and harmonized in ways that create this large sonic space. I mean, you can change its character by playing with this trippy particle visualizer.
0: Is there a way you could demo that a little bit? Let's see. Well, Uh, I can sort
1: of sing into the mic here and show you some of the presets. Mm. Mm. That's just me singing, "Ah, ah, into the microphone. And what the voice processor does is detects the pitch I'm singing and then transposes the output to match a melody that's already been programmed. And I can morph that sound in different directions.
0: other app that would be maybe fun to demonstrate, right? Uh, Autofugue.
1: Autofugue. <laughs> Even though it's kind of a classical music app, it's really more like deliberate musical sacrilege. <laughs> to briefly describe what it is, it's reverse karaoke with Baroque music and dance beats. Unlike regular karaoke where you're singing over the music as it plays, with Autofugue, you say something with no music into your phone and then it takes that material and vocodes it to a score of your choice, as long as it's Baroque, and puts a dance beat underneath it.
0: Holy buckets, just order two large mesa
1: and so we have certain themes uh, that we're going to do, like well-tempered techno, uh, boom-back buxtehuda, so that's Buxtehude <laughs> with boom bap rap beats, <laughs> and I think even though he's not Baroque, I really I want to do drum and bass Beethoven. So just need a little inspirational text. What do you say? Um, um,
0: well, how about something to do with Composer Quest? Maybe this could be your little intro theme.
1: Right, Composer Quest. What should we say about it? Um, um, the best new music podcast in the greater metro area? (laughs) 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 Composer Quest. Easily the best new music-focused podcast in the greater metro area. All right, we're going to vocode that with uh, prelude number two from book one of the Well-Tempered Clavier. Played back through a cell phone, so... The best music focus podcast in the greater Metro period. composer. Quest. Easily the little best beat repeat Drop out the kick and the, the hat. Music focus. Podcast in the Composer quest. break up the, the best. treble on bass notes. Easily the best music podcast in the greater metro area quest. the best music focus
0: in the greater. <laughs> There we go. There you go. Yeah, you there's a new sold theme. A bunch of auto fugue I think apps, and <laughs>
1: the composer quest audience just grew exponentially. Yeah, <laughs>
0: nice. I like that you have a sense of humor about poking fun at classical music too.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's this kind of atmosphere of solemnity that surrounds it.
0: Well, that kind of goes along with my fan question for right. you here from Maya Heyman. How has your graduate work in composition or your dissatisfaction with formal compositional <laughs> training influenced the work that you do now?
1: I think one thing that I've taken with me, a couple, well, a couple things from my composition background that still inform what I do. One is an interest in musical narrative. Seeing a piece of music as holding the potential to do more than verse, chorus, verse, bridge, chorus, at the end, or whatever. I've always liked longer developmental forms. And I think that comes across, especially in the last two tracks from the EP, which are nine minutes and 13 and a half minutes, which is kind of decadent prog rock territory, but normal for you know, composition. The second thing I really value about what people call new music or contemporary classical music, and that I often find lacking in more popular genres is an experimental attitude—you're sort of, you know, expected to do something weird and original in question premises. and question premises—and I like that attitude. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, you know, what I want—one of the things I want to do next with this group is start to incorporate a more sophisticated pitch language, probably spectral harmony or something microtonal, and not do it in a way that's really didactic. Like, here's a bizarre chord right in your face. And do it in a way that still works within a sort of dance kind of genre. I don't think the biggest barrier to mass acceptance with avant garde 20th century music is the harmony so much as the rhythmic language. I think the rupture that really throws people off is, is the absence of meter. Bombarding the people with really aggressive, constantly dissonant chords is probably a turnoff, but I could do something odd with intonation and, and it would be fine. And I don't think it'll throw people if it's set over a pretty stable rhythmic foundation.
0: If it has a beat, a exactly. dance beat, yeah, people it, are willing to accept If it has a 4-4 four,
1: four kick drum, you can put almost anything over it harmonically.
0: Do you have everything running through a master tempo? Right. Mentronome sort of thing? Yeah,
1: the... Um, All the rhythms played by the machines are quantized to the beat, and originally they were a bit too quantized. You know, if you've ever listened to a straight MIDI file that was sequenced exactly to the beat, that sounds... it's called deadpan MIDI for a reason. It sounds lifeless and terrible. One of the second phases of this band was adding some human timing deviations to the rhythms, some expressive performance so that it adds a little bit of a shuffle or swing feel to the rhythms. And that made everything sound so much better. Hmm. When it was deadpan timing, I mean, it, it sounded robotic in the worst sense of the word. Hmm. Uh, and the way I arrived at that was, there are simple ways to do it. You, you could just sort of make up a rule. Sorry, if you know, this note is happening on a weak 16th note, delay it by X amount. And that's pretty effective. Uh, I was interested in capturing... I thought there might be even greater subtlety to it, so I did this data mining exercise with uh, MIDI recordings of professional percussionists. Clyde Stubblefield, who was James Brown's drummer, he was one of them, and uh, a Latin percussionist. So I did data mining of expert percussion performance and then built regression models out of that data mining. Hmm. And that's what... Uh, influences the uh, the expressive timing for all the robots.
0: Cool. Did it's, you notice some patterns that people could pick up on?
1: I mean, I think the the deviations were mostly where you'd expect them to be. I thought one thing that I thought was really interesting is that there's much less variance in timing on the really strong beats. So, as you might expect, there's some randomness in the distribution of like of when a note actually hits around the beat. Just because of you know human performance error or whatever, but there's much less randomness around beat one
0: hmm.
1: beat four you'll get some just spread of one notes occur around beat four, but on beat one, they tend to be really concentrated
0: was there like a common pattern of people being either ahead of the beat on beats two and three and four or behind the beat, or
1: the strongest predictor of whether or not something is ahead of the beat or behind it was whether the previous note was ahead or behind. So when they're playing behind the beat, they tend to be consistently behind the beat. And I I kept that too. So how late or how early a given note will be depends a lot upon how late or how early the previous one was. So the system feeds back on itself.
0: Are there some elements of chance then in you're programming or...?
1: No, not in the program itself. There's an element of chance in, like, just the physicality of the instruments. Their sound changes with the humidity and the temperature, which is kind of interesting, but also frustrating. When it gets humid, the drums expand, and you know, the wooden machines expand, which can shrink the distance between the beater and the drum head, which you know, changes how a, a strike sounds it changes how long it takes. There's so much variation from temperature and humidity built into these things, and from just wear on the instruments. You know, they, The beaters wear down, the solenoids age.
0: So the sound of the system is changing constantly. If you are going to give advice for someone who wanted to build their own drumming robots... <laughs> oh, wow. Don't. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, it's really
1: it's so much fun to play with them. I really enjoy coming to the studio to practice, which is always a good thing. But it's a lot of work. It's a lot of woodworking or metalworking, a lot of programming and a lot of experimenting. The place to go for general instructional advice, there's a guy in Germany who's built a robot band, uh, and he's done a lot more to create educational content on his website. Uh, which is sonicrobots.com. A lot of good information there, as well as an overview of what other people have done with robotic music automation. So I, w- I would recommend checking out that website, sonicrobots.com.
0: Is that kind of where you got inspired? or how, where did No, you...
1: I mean, I think uh, I started my project earlier, and I wasn't the first. There's this crazy Belgian guy who had a movie made about him called Man and Machine, And he's built the whole orchestra, often controlled by gestural sensors that he and his wife will control in the nude. (laughs) So he has ultrasonic distance sensors that will trigger notes in the robots, and he controls these distance sensors by sort of doing this kind of uh, nude modern dance thing. (laughs) I'm not interested in doing that. Uh, (laughs) That part of his work has not been an influence on me. Uh, Uh, That's probably good. But actually, I corresponded with him when I was starting out because I had a question about circuits. I'm like, how do you, I don't know, a question about how he powers his solenoids or something like that. And he wrote back, really nice guy.
0: Cool. How do you stay motivated to keep composing and keep doing new things with music?
1: Well, one thing that never gets old is seeing someone really freak out When they see robots play drums, that's still very gratifying. At the EP release party, I think this was the first time that people I didn't know got up and danced. And people who were not children (laughs) got up and danced to the music. So, you know, for any nerd, like making people dance with robots is probably one of the most gratifying things that can happen. And, you know, seeing the comments online, it's motivating it, which, you know... (laughs) <laughs> I almost say to admit, but I, you know I, I kind of need that too, because it's, it's just a lot of work it's a lot you know it's a significant chunk of money too to sink into this and for parts and stuff like that and so to to do something that makes strangers freak out that's just really gratifying and one thing I, I didn't really get from composition in the, in the graduate school environment there's were always weird concerts. I almost felt awkward inviting my friends who are not musicians or composers. you almost feel like you have to offer a warning like you're going to hear some really weird sounds at this show there's not going to be a beat nobody's going to be singing uh, there's going to be a lot of screaming noises coming from violins um. <laughs> trust me on this uh, and the other people at the show are like your grad student buddies So they don't cool... get up and dance no they didn't I mean that's <laughs> maybe that would have made my master's recital better I don't know
0: <laughs> more,
1: more dancing in the aisles in, in an alternate life, I would like to be like a new music programming director. In so many ways, new music concerts are, are off-putting because they're, always, they're usually curated in a way that you're almost guaranteed to hate something that you hear. There's usually a 20% rule to a m- new music concert. You'll like 20% of what you'll hear, you'll hate 20%, and you'll be bored by the remaining 60 And so going to a new music concert, it's always this question of, well, what if that 20% like changes my idea of what music can do because when that happens it's fantastic right you've you know you've had that yeah i think everyone who's become a composer remembers having that experience of listening to the rite of spring for the first time and thinking my god i didn't know music could do that and the promise of having that experience again is often what kept me going back to new music concerts but then i don't know
0: when so you, what's your counter-proposal for new music? Oh, concerts? I, th- I think
1: allowing drinks in the auditorium would be a good start. <laughs> um, and I think programming that's less eclectic would stand a better chance of drawing audiences. I remember going to c- concerts at Miller Theater at Columbia, and there would be you know, like two hours of Mezzi on solo piano works. And that's pretty concentrated stylistically, and they'd pack people in for that because everyone knew you know, what 100% of that concert was going to be.
0: Well, do you have any composing tips for listeners?
1: Composing tips. When I was designing the machines, I was looking at a lot of furniture online, furniture design, and I came across the work of this man whose name I'm forgetting but who was a, a woodworker, a famous woodworker who died two years ago. One of the first things that he had his woodworking students do was build their own tools, you know, hand-powered woodworking tools. And he thought that was the most important lesson for a budding woodworker, is to make their own tools. The lesson that they learned there, I think, is entirely applicable to music. If you make your own tools, they may not be as sophisticated as the ones that you can buy in the commercial software market, and certainly, you, I don't think it makes sense for anyone to try to recreate Finale from scratch. But if you do make your own tools, even if they're not as sophisticated as what else exists out there, you will know them inside and out. And because they reflect your personality and engagement with your own work, the final result will be unique and reflect your own voice as a woodworker or a composer or software designer.
0: Well, Patrick, thanks so much oh, it's for talking my pleasure. Talking. Thanks for joining me on this episode of Composer Quest with Patrick Flanagan. To download Patrick's EP, The Human Element, for free, visit jazarimusic.com. And jazari is spelled J A Z A R I. If you've been enjoying Composer Quest, I would really appreciate a little review on iTunes if you have a minute. Thanks, and I'll leave you with a taste of Patrick's track, Meteor Shower.